Welcome to the TC Podcast. Josh Larson here with a quick note about this episode. As we've done before, we're sharing the audio from our online gathering of the TC Movie Club. For our summer session, we got together to discuss the prophetic voice of Jordan Peele, covering the new Nope, as well as Peele's previous films, Us and Get Out. It was a rich conversation full of theology and theories, including some ideas about what's going on with that shoe at the start of Nope. If you're not a member of the TC Movie Club and would like to join to be part of future gatherings, you can do so at thinkchristian.net slash movie club. For our next get-together, we'll be considering Transcendent Spielberg, looking ahead to The Fablemans, the upcoming film from Steven Spielberg. That online discussion will take place at 2 p.m. Central, Saturday, October 22. To get all the details, including the Zoom link, sign up at thinkchristian.net slash movie club. We'll return with regular episodes of the podcast shortly, but for now, enjoy our TC Movie Club discussion on the prophetic voice of Jordan Peele. Welcome, everyone. I'm Josh Larson, editor over at thinkchristian.net and excited to host this session of the TC Movie Club. It's our summer 2022 session, and we've gotten together to discuss the prophetic voice of Jordan Peele. We're sitting here a couple of weeks after the release of Nope. I think it is. So, so hopefully all of us have had a chance to see it once. I know a few of us have seen it a couple of times. I know one person has seen it three times already. So making it a bit of a weekly regimen, I guess. Um, but that's what Peel's films, I think, ask of us, that sort of close observation and close discussion. So I'm excited to do that with you all here. Uh, we will also touch on 2019's Us and 2017's Get Out. At least that's my hope. Nope is dense enough. We could spend our entire hour on it easily, and my guess is the majority of our time will be there. But I do want to touch on both those other films under this larger idea of the way these movies might, um, in the tradition of the Old Testament, prophets speak truth to power. So that's the guiding uh, guidelines for our conversation today. As I like to do with our movie club gatherings, uh, I have a co-host who's going to help me lead our conversation. Some of you um, saw that I had mentioned earlier we were going to have the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III, uh, who pastors a church on the south side of Chicago here, come. And he was all set for that, but then a scheduling conflict came up. Uh, to prove that he is uh, a big movie fan, he's actually out at the Martha's, Vine Martha's Vineyard Film Festival and then getting back conflicted with our time here today. So unfortunately, he wasn't able to join us. Hopefully down the road, he can. And I was also lucky enough to get Dustin Markell to step in. Uh, Dustin, those of you who read the TC website at thinkchristian.net, probably recognize him as D. Markel. That's the byline that he uses. He's written for us for a number of years now, always does excellent stuff, uh, and uh, wrote about Nope just this past week for us. So it was kind of perfect. I'm glad he was able to jump in last minute. Uh, welcome, Dustin. Uh, I'm going to out you as the, the guy who's seen Nope three times. Um, do you have it totally figured out now after seeing it three times? I feel pretty solid. Thank you for having me, by the way. Hello, everybody. Of I uh, I think I have it pretty uh, pretty locked down. I think it's it's it's. Um, we were saying a little earlier before we got on that I do think it might be his best, even though it may not be my favorite. Um, that is his best work, I think, because it is a really uh, effective realization of the ambition that we kind of see happening in us. And it's uh, it's pretty complete. I think it's a it's a pretty it's a well crafted, well crafted film. Okay, so you're not voting for it in the poll, then you're going to go somewhere else for favorite, is what I hear. You're making that distinction between best and favorite. Yes, it's you know it's funny. I think you know it's always the question, right? What's your what's the best film versus what is the favorite? And I think for me, Us is my favorite. You know, okay, Us is is some would argue that it's it's. Uh, it's not as clean as the other two. I would maybe agree with that in in certain ways, but really, for for my money, I, I, us is is for its creepiness, for its performances. I think it's probably my favorite. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So that gives us a little bit of a sense of uh, your relationship with Peel's movies. Before we get into our theories and really breaking it down, give me your impression. Let's go back to that first viewing. 
of Nope. Um, I don't know how much you knew about it going in or if you were like me and barely even looked at the poster, but share that experience of seeing it for the first time and give me your general thoughts just as a movie going experience before we get into the prophetic stuff. Certainly. Um, you know, th- that first viewing is, you know, there's just so, for me, just so much tension, right? I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. What, what, what are we seeing? What's, what's happening? And I think for, for me, I was able to, I wouldn't say that, that I came out of that first viewing having fully enjoyed it only uh, enjoying it and appreciating it as a, as a, as a film, certainly, but there was just so much for me, like just question about what's happening that I couldn't even relax, which I think is part of the effectiveness of the film that first viewing. And then, uh, so, you know, just, just being wrapped up in that spectacle, you know, seeing it on the big screen, feeling like movies were back in a certain way, even the trailers leading in, I was, I was like, all right, let's go. Let's, let's, let's see these movies. Um, but, um, but no, really just appreciating it that first round, then getting that, having, having seen it, you know, going to that second viewing, knowing what was coming and really appreciating the dominoes that he is setting up through no waste of anything. He is even, even the, the inflatable wacky arm, inflatable men <laughs> that are used uh, towards the end. I hadn't realized that he had set us up for their existence early on. So just kind of a, appreciating on a different level that second viewing and then even the third time just seeing it all come together and just feeling like you know in a seeing it with a new audience i was sort of mm. uh, sitting there going like oh yeah y'all no, just wait just wait you know <laughs> uh uh you know especially during that middle scene with the storm and so forth so uh as we were saying before we got on uh, got on the air that seen it you know now three times and it hasn't diminished in quality Domino's is a great way to describe it. And knowing by his third film now, I had that confidence in Peel. So that even though I was completely confused, why are we starting this movie with this bloody chimp? Um, I gave him the benefit of the, I knew he knew where we were going. And it may not, I didn't, that doesn't mean that I was going to completely have all the answers after that first viewing. As you said, you left with questions. Dustin, I was the same way, but I still had the confidence that uh, there is a plan here and um, I'm going to be able to figure out enough of it to give what I'm going to see meaning. And um, that doesn't mean I won't be left with certain clues or certain domino pieces that fall sideways and I don't see where they're part of the path. Uh, Maybe we'll touch on some of those for each of us as we get into our conversation. But I knew that most of them were going to click, hit the next one until I'm brought to the end of the line with something pretty spectacular. So one of those domino pieces that he's used twice now in Us and in Nope is an Old Testament prophet. Um, So Nope, of course, has Jeremiah, or I'm sorry, Us has Jeremiah 11, 11 throughout the movie. There are references to it. I think maybe four at least. Um, Then we have here, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, you know, we kind of planned this all around the prophetic voice of of Jordan Peele. I had no idea what the movie was about. And then I see Nahum 3, 6 on the screen. I was just like, oh, yes, this is going to, I don't know, again, I don't know where this domino is going to go, but this is going to work for our conversation. Um, Different prophets, different things they're speaking to. Very interesting that Peel is using um, prophets twice. I will fully admit, um, and I haven't read any interviews with him about this aspect, he might just be messing with us. He might, might just think it's kind of cool and do me to start a horror movie that way. I'm entirely allowing that possibility. Um, but still, it's there. It's something that um, I think he wants the audience to play with. So at the very least... Uh, if it's not the key that opens all of the meanings to Nope, or even the the meaning, the pure meaning Peel has for Nope, um, I think it's a clue we can play with and have some fun with. And again, as the TC Movie Club, think about what the theological implications of the use of something like uh, Nahum 3.6 is. So again, just as a reminder, I think it's the, is it the um, revised King James Version that he might use actually uh, at the beginning of the film, but this is Nahum 3.6. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. 
And there are so many ways to read how that applies to note, I think. We're going to touch on a bunch of them, but I want to stick with you here, Dustin, before we open up the floor. And for those folks who haven't read your TC post yet, uh, can you just kind of give us the uh, the short version of how you see Nahum 3.6 applying here? Sure. So, you know, the the idea of spectacle is is throughout, you know, we, we hear... And once you're attuned to it, as I, uh, I'll test to having seen it a few times, once you're listening for it, it's, it's, it's popping up, you know, pretty often, right? So, you know, I, I, the short version is that I saw the film very much as a sort of criticism of, or, or at least a, um, an opportunity for us to examine this sort of spectator culture that we are uh, a part of, that we participate in, that we, you know, that's become more and more ubiquitous uh, uh, the last, even just the last few years for some, you know, for, for us who were, you know, pre-internet. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, the ubiquity of, uh, uh, you know, uh, celebrity life and, and fame and infamy and so forth. And I think we see that symbolized, you know, with, um, you know, with this look at Hollywood as well as sort of tabloid culture that pops up in the film. Uh, obviously, the the OJ of it all is such a uh, <laughs> such a key piece. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, again, as someone who grew up in LA during that time, it was <laughs> I, I definitely had to kind of kind of snicker every time uh, uh, I heard "Run OJ Run" from Kiki Palmer. <laughs> uh, I was like, "Oh man, uh-huh. um, that was that was bold, man. That was bold." So you know, I um, again just ultimately I saw it as a. Uh, critique of that sort of exploitation that we see, whether it be in show business, whether it be in our journalism, whether it be, you know, in our politics, what have you, the way in which exploitation plays a part in our engagement with one another uh, and and creates sort of a healthy, excuse me, unhealthy relationship with one another and unhealthy relationship with all of those, those topics. So I, um, uh, and of course, ultimately with the, uh, sort of solution to the, the the problem if you will just to, just to be abbreviated is to just not look at it right to not give it attention and so i saw that as ultimately the, the film um rather peel was doing with the film was letting us know hey you know we don't necessarily have to as i say in the piece feed this monster we don't necessarily have to engage in that exploitation we don't have to celebrate that and if we you know perhaps you know are more aware of that um, so yeah, so that's, that's, that's how I saw it in, in sort of larger, um, the sort of larger themes that, that Peel's getting at, getting at in terms of, uh, Nahum, the, the Bible verse, you know, it's, um, I sort of read that phrasing in the verse as God essentially promising that, you know, you are making a spectacle of others and exploiting others. The punishment that comes with that is that I will make a spectacle of you. Right, just to say briefly. So, and uh, and we see that happening in the film. We see that happening with those who are, you know, engaging in this exploitation. That indeed they themselves become the spectacle. Right. So, um, so ultimately, perhaps Peel is telling us, "Hey, be mindful of exploiting others and making the spectacle of others." Right, because you yourself may become the spectacle. Yeah, I like how you connect that with, um, you know, God's word through Nahum. I will make you a spectacle, with which within that context is being directed at the Assyrian Empire, um, who is oppressing Judah, uh, the nation of Judah. And so it's this outward-directed prophecy uh, at an oppressing nation. So it does make you consider who's going to be made a spectacle, what is a spectacle. And I don't think there's a one, one-to-one correlation from that biblical context to what we see in Nope. Maybe someone else does have a a more definite idea, but I think it touches on all of these things uh, that you were just mentioning, Dustin, and can include them in different ways and implicates the audience as well as the characters and implicates the characters in different ways. You know, OJ is set apart in many ways, but also he's still part of this system in a way by being, um, you know, having, being this horse trainer. He's not, would never say that he's exploiting the animals. I think he treats them differently than other people we see in the movie, but still he is using these animals in a way that I guess could be described as exploitation. So it's not necessarily a one-to-one thing. 
Um, I've been thinking about this idea of prophetic witness because um, in the horror book I'm writing, A Christian Appreciation of Horror, I have a chapter on prophetic horror, and I'm spending a lot of time on the films of Peel there. And doing research for that, I came across this book, Five Views on the Church and Politics. Different authors, but there's a chapter by Bruce L. Fields uh, entitled The Black Church Prophetic View. And he talks about four distinct qualities of prophetic witness there. Um, prophetic witness, Field says, comforts those who are oppressed. It exposes evil, so speaks truth to power. It demands correction, a turning away from evil. And then Fields would also say the fourth thing, it affirms God's people in their efforts to seek justice. Um, so I had those those four qualities in my mind, and I think if I do apply those to NOPE, um, the evil that I think is being exposed, it's very similar to what Dustin is describing. I've described it as a voraciousness for entertainment that we want to consume, these spectacles that we seek to consume. And then this ties in more directly to what you were saying, Dustin, a willingness to exploit anything for the sake of that entertaining spectacle. Um, you know, we can we can exploit um, um, animals as we see there. We can exploit each other, our relationships, resources. And so I think the prophetic call maybe in the film is that for the care of others and for our own good, um, we're warned prophetically to look away. And there's going back to that gaze idea that Dustin mentioned. So um, let's open it up. Hopefully Dustin and I have given uh, us a couple of directions to go down and obviously feel free to bring some new ones. Um, Zachary, I think we've had a, a, a couple uh, comments in the chat. If maybe you want to catch us up on those and uh, then we'll get into the general comments. Go ahead and use that raise hand feature if you want to uh, share something. But yeah, what do we got so far, Zachary? Yeah, I know Scott and uh, Dustin, they were both talking about trying to connect the UF, but what you, I think what you were saying, Josh, initially about what is the monkey Gordy, like the chimp scene, what does that have to do with the larger UFO? And I think, yeah, just the, that connection between both were creatures that were trying to be controlled, you know, trying to, for the sake of spectacle, trying to control them in the same way. And then I like the point you brought up, Scott, about how that, yeah, the chimp is also why Juke went crazy, right? That's kind of like him having that moment with the fist bump with the, with Gordy is what made him think that he could control, perhaps foolishly, the, the mm. UFO monster creature. But it ends up just... It ends up not working out well for him or anybody that, that was in that that space. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I like that read on the fist bump moment. All right. Does anyone want to um, jump on the mic um, and uh, just kind of share where they're thinking uh, together? And again, we can, uh, I imagine for a while, we'll, we'll concentrate on Nope. Um, but feel free even earlier if you want to bring Get Out or us into this. Um, we can do that as well. I just want to jump jump in there. Um, yeah. Just to, in terms of the question of our the audience culpability in the whole thing, right? That there is this implication that um, uh, that we're also engaging in the spectacle. I I, I went. With a piece, there's just so many points to bring up, and I had to just kind of bring it back. I already, <laughs> they already run long. So, but that was one the question of whether or not uh, the Haywood siblings uh, and just that, that team, whether or not they are also, you know, they're trying to get a photo in order to say for monetary gain, not necessarily yeah. for riches, but in order to sell that image, in order to save their ranch. So, there is this, this element of, of maybe they are it's a gentler sort of form of exploitation, right? It's a, this agreement with the, uh, with the monster as OJ, as OJ puts it, right? You got to come into, make an agreement with a predator. You can't try to tame a predator, but it still is about controlling that predator, right? It's still mm. about controlling the UFO. So it's just sort of interesting about, you know, ultimately, and, and at the end of the day, we are watching it, right? As an yeah. audience, you know, and that's, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen it on IMAX, that, that, you know, particularly Act 3, it's beautiful, um, but it is overall a spectacle as well. So sort of what is the, sort of how far, how far is too far in terms of engaging in the spectacle, right? You know, is it better to just be an observer or is it- Yeah, absolutely. That's something that was knocking around in my head too, is 
how are we being implicated? And you could see the fact that the movie is so entertaining, because I think it is, right from a first viewing. I mean, it just carries you along. And so is the fact that it ends up being about this voraciousness for spectacle we have, is that its final joke it puts over on us? Or is that a does that make the film a little bit hypocritical <laughs> that it's, you know, it's a spectacle that's calling out spectacles? I don't know. I, I still don't have the answer to that one. Um, yeah, Chad, what are you thinking? Yeah, well, to, to kind of go off Dustin's point a little bit, I was I was wondering, connecting that with how, you know, early in the film, OJ is selling some of the horses off to Stephen Yeun's character. I can't remember his name. Um, and kind of like, and I wonder, and, that's, and I think that's the assumption that I was getting that that character has been like buying those horses and like feeding them to the monster. And so I, I do wonder if that's kind of going off this theme, the culpability and how, you know, OJ is complicit, even when he's doing something that he doesn't really know much about. Uh, but these, there's still a part of that, that he selling these horses for the exploitation of this monster that the Steven Yeun character is, is being a part of. And just how deep that might go. Just something that I was thinking about. Yeah, and that that brings up almost a logistical question that I haven't settled, and I've heard people talk about it both ways. I wasn't sure if um, Jupe, the the old-time Western theme park owner, former child actor, if he had been already feeding horses um, regularly to try to train the monster, or if um, he had witnessed the alien eat a horse and kind of thought, I think I know a way I can turn that into a show, or if what we see was the first time he ever tried it. I, I kind of got the impression it was somewhere between the first two, but um, I don't know. Does anyone real quick have a, have a, and then we'll jump to you, Eli, but does anyone real quick have a, a solid reading on that? Because I feel like I don't, uh, how many horses had been fed and how. I get, you know, it's, it's uh, again, when the second viewing comes up, you realize that, that He's practicing the show maybe at night, and that's what's bringing he being Jupe, uh, and that's what's bringing the UFO out at night. Um, but my understanding, I get after watching again, was that the show we see with Lucky is not the first show, um, okay, or at least the first time that he has. Let me rephrase that. I think the training is, is what's happening because then when he comes over to the ranch later on to invite them to the show, I think that is maybe the first like audience participation show. But up until that point, he yeah. has been using the horses perhaps for training um, and whatnot. So, so that's my, that tracks. That's my takeaway. Yeah, that tracks because of the flyer. He hands them the flyer, which is give, does give the impression like this is a brand new thing. So, okay, that's helpful. Yeah, Eli, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was thinking something similar with the flyer. It seems like maybe, you know, he had been buying the horses and it, you know, he happened to see it happen one night and was like, well, let me see if I can make this happen again. And then was like, okay, it happened again. Now let's, uh, take advantage of it. But, um, but yeah, I, I going, I think going back to, um, the idea of like this, the line of, exploitation the line of the spectacle like you know at what point are we exploiting with the spectacle at what point are we becoming part of the spectacle um i think there's a lot of, of nuance in there and i think that you know pill is obviously very a very smart director and writer and i think he's aware of that nuance and i think he's I think he's aware that there's not really like there's not really a way to see the spectacle and not like be implicated somehow. I guess the whole movie is showing that he's aware of that because it, like uh, like some of y'all were saying, the whole movie is a spectacle. And so, at, you know, is Peel making a spectacle? And I think he would say, yeah, I'm making a spectacle. We're all trying to make a spectacle like we're all implicated in this. There's no getting out of that. Um, uh, but I, something that, something that I, I was seeing a distinction in as I, you know, came out of the movie and was talking with it with friends was that the, the distinction between, um, how o OJ viewed, um, 
the UFO, the alien, and how other people viewed it. Um, other people viewed it as something to take advantage of, um, to try to exert their power over. And I think that's the distinction. Other people were trying to exert their power over the alien um, as they were exploiting it. Whereas OJ sees it as something not to be tamed, but still something to be appreciated. There's a bit of like humility with how OJ approaches it. Um, and so I don't think, and I think the big thing is um, the don't look it in the eye. Um, I really don't think that's like ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist. Um, I don't think that can be what he means because he, that's his viewpoint, but he doesn't pretend it doesn't exist. He still is trying to do something with it. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly if they're trying to, I don't know if pill is trying to have them taking a picture of it mean, you know, they're still part of the problem or perhaps it's since they are taking this more humble approach, perhaps it's, Hey, let's, capture this so that we can show the world, you know, there's that conversation. Are we making the world a better place with what we're doing? So are we, when we capture this picture and show people um, with this more humble approach, we're not trying to exert our power over it. Is this, an, is this the best possible way we can go about this and try to make a difference? Um, and so, you know, at at some point, they're still exploiting. And I think Pill is saying there's not really any avoiding that. Um, and we can think like, so think about a, a, a charity. You know, there's a point where, you know, you're putting pictures out there of people in low income areas to try to get donors. Like, there's a bit of ex exploitation there, but there's also this humble approach of, hey, like, we're here, we're in the middle of it, we're aware of what's going on. We're trying to do our best um, in this situation. Is there a bit of exploitation? Like, yes, but we're also boots on the ground trying to understand what's going on. Just like OJ um, and M are boots on the ground. They're trying to understand what's going on. They have a humble respect for the beast, not trying to exert power over it in the way that other people are. Um, and, you know, Again, I think there's a lot of nuance there, but that's just something that I was thinking about. And maybe, maybe that's totally off. But um, I like the idea of humility. I, I think that resonates um, definitely. And another point of distinction, you know, that the screenplay makes is that M and OJ are financially struggling because of the ranch, so they're in a position of need where someone like um, Jupe, you feel like is in a position of trying to use this to earn more, to gain more. Um, you know, he seems to be, although it's a, it's a pretty ramshackle um, tourist trap he's built, it seems to be making money, I guess. Um, so yeah, I think there's a distinction there between like, they're in a place of need, they come from a place of loss, um, they've lost their father uh, as a part of this phenomenon already that I think it's not like a white hat, black hat thing to touch on the Western motifs that are playing. Peel is way more subtle and nuanced and these are more complicated ideas. But I do think it's a point of distinction between them and Jupe, um, for sure. And just going off that a little bit more, I do think that the grief has a big part of it. They've, uh, they have a direct grieving connection to this this beast this yep. spectacle that they're trying to capture um they have a what they're doing is in a way like trying to make make better of their situation but it's also you know i think there's a degree of oj's you know the the way kalia performs there's there's grief in his quietness, there's grief in his eyes. And I think there's a grief in, hey, like, this is really my last chance to, one, make better of what my father left me, and two, understand the thing that killed mm, yeah. my father in some way. And so yeah, it's definitely 
it's definitely a more um, personal um, situation for him. Def- yeah, that that's for sure. Scott, what did what did you want to share? Well, I was going to kind of throw a question out there to see what people thought of it, but I, I wonder if Eli really has kind of answered it already in what what he just said. Because uh, when I went to see it, I feel like the movie was. I've only seen it once. Uh, and the movie was so chock full of ideas that I really wasn't thinking a ton about exploitation until you guys uh, brought it up today. And now I can't stop thinking about it. And I think that everybody who's guilty of exploiting someone or something else really kind of pays a price in this movie, right? So, like, the, the people that are exploiting Gordy, Gordy goes crazy and kills cast and crew. The people that are dupes are trying to exploit the alien and they lose the whole audience and, and show that day. Uh, and I guess what I was going to ask, and like I said, I wonder if you guys answered this already, is the argument can be made that the Haywoods are exploiting the horses. But if you were to take that out of the equation, they're certainly trying to exploit the alien, at least at the beginning, to make money to help the ranch. But they don't really pay the same price as the other as the other characters for their exploitation. Father dies early, but he does he dies before any of the exploitation, at least of the UFO, comes into account. So I wonder why they don't pay the same price as the other characters. And I was just wondering what, what people thought of that. And I think to some extent, Eli's maybe kind of covered some of, some of that. Maybe it is the humility, but it was just kind of a question I wanted to put out there to see what people thought. Yeah, it's a good one. We can stay on that track. What do you got, Dustin? Yeah, I know. I was about to just put it in the chat, but I, I noticed uh, on one of the repeat viewings that Angel at some point in the, during their final mission says something on the lines of they're doing it to also save a bunch of people's lives or something like that. Um, I think that's where I forgot the exact line, but it's sort of like they're this, this, they make a point in the film to also add that they are not just trying to save the ranch, but they are also trying to protect everyone in the area. So I think that is a, um, I think that's an attempt to um, sort of redeem them, but I guess so. Yeah, to, to sort of redeem their mission or give their mission um, sort of this altruistic uh, bend, not just a what, uh, not just a, a sort of profitable one. Yeah, and that's one of the scenes I want to watch closely when I watch it a second time because um, I couldn't tell on the first viewing if that was supposed to be taken comedically like there there's a bit of self-justification going on there like we're we're really doing something important like we're we're an important team in a movie now right <laughs> um or if it's more authentic in the way you're you're saying dustin so i do want to check that one uh check that scene again um so we're at about 40 minutes in and we can stick with nope we can return to nope but i really do want to touch at least a little bit lightly on the other two peel films uh, let me throw this question out there for uh, the group, I think, you know, not just because of the scriptural quotations at the start of these last two films, I just think in general, um, these have been considered to be movies with messages that we're trying to tease out. And while Get Out was obviously full of social commentary, was it prophetic for any of you in any way? If you look at, if you think back on Get Out, in the context of what we've been talking about today. So maybe I'll let that um, sort of sit and someone can jump on it either in the chat or or if you want to go ahead and come on the mic. Um, but Josh, I won't make you answer that right now unless you want to. If you had something else, uh, even nope related, go ahead and take us that direction. No, it ties into a little bit to what I was going to say, which was about the broader uh, filmography appeal at this point and thinking about him as a prophetic voice. What what thinking about it in this context and even this this discussion today is reinforced is, is I'm just so impressed with where he chooses to train his attention or like what he sets his targets on that he, in being a prophetic voice, speaking truth to power, uh, pointing out uh, the errors of our ways, he kind of goes in all directions, like not even punching up or down. And that in in, in Get Out, you know, kind of getting off, starting off with um, critiquing the progressive white liberalism that that would seem to be without flaw, but in reality is just as messed up as as anyone else. Um, and, and you know, for, for a horror director to be training his, his criticism and his commentary in that direction, I think is surprising. And then to move forward to us, 
to to very clearly being indicting essentially all of us and even himself in that movie by by forcing us to think about the fact that any degree of success that we have achieved may have been at on the backs of or due to the subjugation of others. And and Peel's talked openly about you know the success of Get Out is kind of what led to us and him feeling guilt or or thinking deeply about what what his success meant in terms of depriving others of opportunity or those who have not as the result of him having so much. And then in Nope, I see, you know, us, all of us as being kind of the beast, like we are the consumers of visual culture who are constantly hungry for more and more to chew up something and then move on to the next meal. Um, and it's so fascinating, I think, for him to not to be speaking truth to power, not in the way we would typically think about that term, but but to be reflecting really deeply on how what power we have in our own daily lives and needing to speak truth to that power as well. I love that. And it's a it's a distinction from the Old Testament prophets, I think, where they their messages were to force us or nations to look at themselves. I love that idea of Peel making these movies to force himself to look inside. Um, and explore some of those qualms he has about some of these issues. Not everything his movies touch on maybe are that way, but um, I can see that. And I, I was unfamiliar with uh, those interviews, but I think that lens explains some of the conviction his movies have beyond, oh, I don't know, I'm thinking of like a, a satirist whose movies could be called prophetic, like Stanley Kubrick. And... Um, as much as I love a lot of those movies, there's a distinction, I think, where it's almost you feel the prophecy coming very much from on high in his movies. Like, you silly, stupid humans, look at how you're messing everything up. And yeah, Peel's movies have seemed to be more, I don't think holistic is the word, but um, maybe humble is the word in their in their prophecy. This movie starts off with the horse in motion. Like it's clearly saying like the creation of visual culture led to this, you know, beast mm. of sorts that is going to consume everything. And we're a part of it. But Peel knows he's a part of it, too. He obviously loves movies and loves making movies. And as we've been talking about culpability and spectacle, I think that all reinforces that idea that like there's no way getting around that, like being a ravenous consumer of visual culture can bring a, as much as we love it can also bring about a lot of harm and there's a lot of danger in that in the way the beast can prey upon um different types of of culture different types of people yep yep yeah and i'm even thinking too you know um we've spent a lot of time talking about oj and m and if they might have some sort of culpability think back to us and the main character we're rooting for the whole time in essence turns out to be the villain and I think that's just another another way of that, you know, sure, some people wrote that off as a twist ending, but I think it just kind of um, hammered home that um, self-assessment that the movie wants us to do as viewers and then perhaps Peel is also doing as a filmmaker. Yeah. Anyone yeah, just else want to, wanna, yeah, go ahead, Dustin. Just, just to add on to that, uh, you know, something that Eli said earlier about our, uh, our inability to ignore it fully, right? That it is part of landscape and then touching on what Josh says in terms of, you know, just the creation of that moving image has led us here, right? That it's just sort of part of the culture. There's no just kind of turning our heads from it and, and just thinking back on us in that darker ending, right? And this sort of idea that that you can't stop it, right? Same thing in, in and nope, to a certain degree, you can't stop because you see all the reporters coming in at the very end, right? So it's like it's a cycle that keeps on going. Same with us. And even it reminded me of what I heard I've seen to be the original ending of Get Out, which uh you should find you can find it online, but it's it's not as clean as the ending that we we saw, right? It's sort of this it, it gives the idea that that again, there's no in, in the end of, of that one, Chris gets arrested in an original ending of it. So there's this idea that you can't stop the machine, right? It's just going to keep on going. And again, going back to maybe Eli's point about it, it, it depends on how you respond to the phenomenon, not necessarily trying to eradicate it because it is, you know, much like sin, much like all of it is part of the fabric uh, of our existence. So anyway, I just want to add that. Yeah, that alternate ending of Get Out, which I've read about but haven't, you know, haven't seen any footage from, feels more and more 
two films later, like the actual Peel ending <laughs> does it does to me right like that's maybe if that wasn't his first film that's the one he might have gone with I don't know I think Get Out ends um, pretty strong as it is um, Zachary maybe we'll check in uh, if there's another comment or two you want to just bring uh, to the group in the chat and then I do have a um, a nope mystery I'm hoping someone can solve a question that I, I want to make sure we get to so yeah anything you wanted to um, bring from the chat Zachary. Yeah, I was going to say the comments just started flooding in after I think once you opened it up to talk about the other films. But yeah, I think I like, Chad, the comment you had brought up about biblical prophecy and how it always ends with hope in in God's promises in some way. And so there he just posed a question where what does hope look like in Peel's movies? And maybe you can see some of that in Get Out, but in Us or in Nope, what does you know, if we're going to follow that biblical, prophetic, biblically prophetic framework, what does that look like? And then, Ben, yeah, Ben, your point about a prophetic reading of Get Out, how, yeah, God uses prophets to visually and dramatically act out the symptoms of Israel's sin or coming judgment. And so just that's a, as, as a helpful illustration for that enacting out and the way he's choosing to depict a lot of the vices and sins. In yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Zachary. That's that's great, Ben. That's helpful. Um, I wonder if, just because we were just talking about the get-out ending, if um, the, the ending Peel ended up going with is more of the biblical hope one, and the one that um, that he didn't choose is is the bleaker, the bleaker one. And I suppose there's hope in, um, in Nope, in that whatever value, here's another question, right? What's the value we're supposed to put on M getting that shot at the end? How much are we supposed to root for that, what is that supposed to symbolize? What is that supposed to mean? One reading could be that it is a more positive, hopeful ending. But as we touched on, us is pretty dark. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that. No, only because we're the oppressors. We're the kingdom that that is being preached to about the error of our ways. The ending of us is very hopeful for the red jumpsuit wearing people who have had terrible <laughs> distances up until that point. <laughs> I suppose that's true. I was thinking a little more about that family themselves and what what family life is going to look like going forward. But yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Josh. Um, all right, so my nope question: Can someone please? I want to uh, confirm for me first that the shoe we see at the very beginning in the Gordy massacre is standing upright, toe down, in a way that would be, you know physically impossible. I think I saw that. It wasn't emphasized. It wasn't like a close-up. It's in the background of a wider shot. And then B, if that's the case, what's what's going on there? How does that fit in? Does anyone have an answer for that? I wasn't no, but seeing I had, things. No, but I had the exact same question because that's why I kept trying to tie the, the chimp to the UFO. Like, like, okay, the UFO somehow made the chimp go crazy, you know, because of that shoe. I was like, there's something supernatural going on within that scene. And I never, I haven't figured it out. Oh, so, so are you, let me follow where I think you might be going. Like in a way, even back then, was there a UFO like physically in the area that was kind of almost about to suck that shoe up? And that's why it was holding it that way. Is that what that's what I mean. The whole time I was like trying to connect this somehow, and it, the connection ended up being just you know Jupe's character and him. Okay. Yeah, the beast, you know, and it, but like the whole time I was like, so so you know, because you know when you before you think it's an animal, you think it's a UFO, and you're thinking right. aliens, and here's this shoe standing on end. So I'm like, it has it has to be something supernatural happening when they're shooting. Um, the only thing I can think of is the balloons going up. If one of them snagged the shoe, because the okay. balloons come out of the box and yep, then yep. They, one of them pops and that makes it go crazy. But maybe a balloon is hang, you know, is is holding the shoe. I don't know. All right. I see, Alan, you've got your hand raised. I don't know if you've got the answer, but go ahead. Yeah, I um, and, and I can't take credit for this, but I, I saw it in um, uh, I read a, uh, a theory. Uh, I believe is New York Times and one of the um, critics uh, raised and he was saying that this is what we're seeing there is Jupe's memory and we're seeing it through his eyes and because okay. it's not actually happening it's all you know we're we're and you have that scene where he's kind of you know leaning back and and thinking about it that that whole 
scene is a memory of his. Um, and I think they put the shoe also, again, I've only seen it once, but the shoe is also part of his collection, I think, in yep. his little room of terror, right? Um, <laughs> but that uh, uh, what you're looking at is part of his own kind of psychosis and 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 memory of what happened and, and you're seeing it through his eyes and how it kind of messed him up, um, ho- however that happened. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense because the camera, sh- the shot is definitely from his perspective. We we realize later that's what we're seeing. And Dustin, I see you dropped in the chat here. Um, you've read that Jupe's focus on the shoe saved his life because he didn't look Gordy in the eye. That makes sense too. I think the way the tablecloth is draped and covering the top third of the frame also protects him in that way that they're not making direct eye contact. Um, good stuff. So... Uh, as I predicted, I feel like we're just getting started, but <laughs> I don't want to take up everyone's Saturday afternoon. And I do want to share some um, information about the poll results for our fall session, because um, I haven't put that out anywhere, but I thought this might be a good time to share it. Eli, if, you, if you've if got something real quick, though, do you want to end us with a comment or a, uh, a question? Uh I was just going to add to the the shoe thing um, real quick. Uh, one of my buddies had said um, that it might just be something that is like a spectacle that we can't take our eyes off of. Um, he mentioned um, there's another scene. I didn't personally notice it, but he did. Um, there's like a fight going on kind of in the background um, that like he said he was just watching that the whole conversation. Um, and so it might just be the shoe might just be another one of those things that's like something in the background that's like a spectacle that you can't take your eyes off of and is just distracting you from what you're supposed to be looking at uh, in the scene. So that's something that my friend noticed that um, I thought was a might be something to explain that. Yeah, yeah, definitely another option um, and somewhat along the lines of what Josh put in the chat, a bad miracle, that phrase bad miracle is used um, in the film as well. So a lot of threads, uh, we chased down uh, a good number of them. So thanks uh, for everyone's participation. And yeah, as I said at the top, we are doing these quarterly now. So our next session is going to be in the fall and hopefully all of you saw the poll and were able to vote in the poll. I put out a while back for the three options. Um, and yes, we do have to get to, uh, Scott, we do have to get to today's poll results. Let's do that first. Thanks for reminding me of that. Uh, it looks like pretty overwhelming, uh, 69% for get out, uh, as your favorite Jordan Peele film us 15% and Nope tied, um, with 15% as well, which is interesting. So usually, these movies grow on us, so I do wonder if Nope ends up passing us if you were asked that question in six months or so. Um, but yeah, Get Out still has a pretty strong hold, uh, on at least this group, as your favorite for Peel's films. So the poll for our fall session of the movie club, we offered three options, uh, the spirituality of Scorsese, transcendent Spielberg, and then we re-offered um, the one tied to Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings because that was a strong um, place in our earlier poll for this session, a uh, strong second place it made. So we wanted to re-offer that. And as I guess, Scorsese won, but then just the week where I was going to close the poll, the movie we were anchoring this around with Leo DiCaprio, Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese's film got pushed to 2023. So in a way, we could have kept it, you know, uh, because it was the winner, pretty clear winner. Um, but I like this sense of of being within the conversation that's taking place at the same time, the larger conversation, um, watching other Scorsese films leading up to the release of Killers of the Flower Moon. So I think what would be best is to go for this poll with the second place winner. And that was Transcendent Spielberg. Um, so hopefully that still sounds good to those of you who are here and those who are listening. This one is anchored around a Spielberg release coming out November 23 is The Fablemans. Um, sounds like it might be more down to earth. This is a somewhat semi-autobiographical um, film about Spielberg's youth growing up in suburban Arizona. Um, but we're going to take the 
look at Spielberg that I think he's more thought of as this transcendent filmmaker. So movies like E.T., which I saw came up in the chat here today, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, obvious influence there on Nope, as a matter of fact. But I even think a film like Always, Spielberg's Always, might be a way to consider consider him as this transcendent filmmaker, certainly in terms of the visuals he presents, but also in terms of the themes that his movies tend to explore. So hopefully you're excited about that. Um, I'll send out an email with those details, um, including the date, if you do want to put this down on your calendar now. Um, I think we'll probably stick with another 2 p.m. Saturday showing, even though it's a small group today. I'm looking at October 22, so 2 p.m. Central, Saturday, October 22. I want to stick with that because that was a pretty clear winner in the survey of movie club members in terms of a time slot that worked for folks rather than a weekend night or a Sunday afternoon. Um, so I don't know. We'll have to see, though, again, since this is a smaller group, if that holds true. But for now, I think that's what we're going to do. Again, we'll finalize that and look for an email that mentions uh, the details. So thank you um, to you, Zachary, for monitoring the chat again. I appreciate that. Uh, Zachary's been writing for us quite a bit as well recently and has a post that just went up a week or two ago on the recent film, The Forgiven. So yeah, maybe drop that link in the chat too, Zachary, if people want to check that out. Otherwise, go to thinkchristian.net. You'll be able to find it fairly easily. Dustin, double thanks to you for doing this and for doing it at a somewhat of a last-minute notice. Anything you're working on, um, I don't know if there's anything you've written for other outlets uh, besides the TC note post that you'd want to plug? Yeah, I um, I write over at FilmCred. Uh, fairly often I uh, just finished a piece for them on uh, the 30th anniversary of Eddie Murphy's Boomerang. I uh, also uh, contributed an essay to a book uh, compiled by uh, Cody Benjamin called uh, Movies from the Mountaintop, 100 uh Films that express God, explore faith, and enlighten church. I have a piece in there on uh, Batman versus Superman, the Dawn of Justice. Um, and you can also just find me uh, on Think Christian. All right. Well, thanks again for, for being a part of this. It was it was good to have you on. Um, of course, if you haven't checked it out yet, I still have that um, video essay I put together on us in Jeremiah 1111. That's on the YouTube channel, the TC YouTube channel. And I will put together another video essay for Transcendent Spielberg, narrowing down um, what that's going to actually focus on. But just to sort of get thoughts uh, percolating on that topic, I'll put out an uh, email to movie club members when that is ready as well. So thank you everyone again for your thoughts, your contribution, and giving some of your time. Uh, we'll see you on October 22. Until then, enjoy the rest of your Saturday.